0: Lucky Boys
1: Podcast. Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. Hey, I'm Penn. And I'm Sandro. <laughs> hey, what's up? It's a little bit different, guys. <laughs> if you guys notice, um, Norm's not here with us today because he just had his first son. So he's yeah. a dad. It's super weird that he's a dad because he's like this big kid. He has toys. So I guess he could share his <laughs> toys. the <laughs> play, his play kids. with it together when he's old enough. Yes. But Sandro, man, you started a beverage company, Sanzo. And it has a lot of interesting exotic flavors that <laughs> I would have loved when I was a kid coming up, and I was into all these. Bev- what I had for these interesting flavors growing up was tropical fantasy. Do you know those? <laughs> Do you guys remember I'm trying, tropical I'm fantasy? To remember it was like these fifty cent drinks.
0: Um, Kevin called it drinks of sugar. Uh huh. Color and water and (laughs) carbonated
1: that's it it was sugar color and water and and throwing some uh, carbonation (laughs) but it was 50 cents cents? it was cheap Mm -hmm. everything else for that size for the similar bottle for a primary brand it was a dollar a dollar fifty yeah so all the bodegas, tropical fantasy. Everybody that grew up near bodega, y'all know what I'm talking yep. about. Anyway, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about your company?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Sandro. I'm the founder and CEO of Sanzo. We're the first Asian-inspired sparkling water made with real fruit with no added sugar. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the exotic thing because honestly, the argument that we're trying to make as a brand, as a company, and even like myself personally, and why I got into this is because we're trying to represent what we think it shouldn't really be so exotic, right? I mean, Asian flavors and what we're doing represents literally one hemisphere of the world, 60% of the world's population, but just because it hasn't made it over into the United States or as much into the into United States, um, you know, we're just, we're trying to kind of break that barrier, I guess.
1: I remember when I introduced my friends who weren't Asian to bubble tea for the sure. first time, yep. and they thought it was an exotic drink. And when they tried, they were like, man this is great what flavors and they started they started with the regular milk Mm -hmm. tea yeah and then they started going taro and and peach and all this other stuff and it expanded from there and when i look at your beverage i'm like what a fucking great idea (laughs) i mean lychee Mm -hmm. i mean that may be exotic uh to people in other parts of the world but to us it's pretty mainstream it says it says um like talking about vanilla and chocolate f- flavors when 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 Asians here at we were like yep
2: to me it's even another level of that I mean there's you know, about a decade ago you know uh, it's well documented in the beverage industry the coconut water wars between Vitacoco and Zico and it's like and I, I know those both those teams very well like super cool guys but it's actually white dudes traveled to either Brazil or Southeast Asia decided hey there's like a whole way to market this to the American consumer it's coconut, you know, I mean, to some, yeah, there's a level of tropical, Like, probably a decade ago, we might've had this conversation around coconut being exotic, or at least in some way you only associate with being on an island somewhere. And now you can go to any bodega in the country and you can easily get like a bottle of, of coconut water. Yeah. Um, in a similar way, I'm kind of thinking same thing could happen as you mentioned with, with lychee or any of the other two flavors that we have but uh, what, out there.
1: I think what separates that is. What are the health benefits of lychee, right? Because a lot of people go fair. into coconut water; they can market it and go, fair. "Hey, look, yeah. your favorite athlete is drinking this. Yep. yep, check it out. Your your favorite basketball player, tennis player. Yep. I've seen them all. Yeah. Your favorite R&B singer. Yeah, fair.
0: Yeah, I remember it, like it being marketed as what anti cramping because of potassium. Sure. Um, it was it was my go to drink for hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs>
2: still still is for a lot of folks. For me, it's, I mean, that's why we're not we don't really market the functionality. That's why we're just like, hey carbonate this in sparkling water and you just have for our you know to us like a a really really delicious refreshing beverage you should just have you know whenever sitting on the couch any kind of meal um something like that
1: you had this for only two years your company's very young in this game and in the last year during covid where people would probably say is the worst time to get into any business venture you guys went against the grain and actually found a lot of success in the last year especially with the e-commerce boom you guys just caught that wave
2: we did yeah i mean we basically noticed that mid-march of last year um you know we fortunately had our you know our our logistics set up for shipping and and advertising um you know on facebook instagram and whatnot and we kind of noticed it once mid-march hit that like hey there's actually an opportunity here to really market to folks at at home who may be stocking up. I mean, I'm I can certainly remember the days going to a grocery store double masked with gloves, um, you know, washing groceries or uh, bags don't you remind me And so you'd want to limit those trips. So you would just order a bunch of stuff. Or you could either do that or a lot of people were, you know, ordering online groceries. I think I remember Instacart and a lot of those services literally had like no delivery windows for a month because everyone was just, you know, really, really freaked out. And so you know, that opened up a real opportunity for, you know, for emerging brands like us to just, you know, ship stuff to people's homes. So yeah, we did, we were one of the few brands or verticals, um, to really actually benefit from, from the pandemic. And you
1: guys got into a lot of supermarkets.
2: Um, so that actually happened kind of towards the tail end. So really uh, from like a chronological standpoint, you know, March through August, really big e-com. Um, yeah. I mean, we really, really it kind of blew up then. What was fortunate was that kind of also allowed us to build the brand completely online so that we could pitch to retailers, hey, you should actually put us on your shelves. And so come September, that's when we launched um, Whole Foods in uh, every mm-hmm. Whole Foods store around, um, you know, the New York tri-state area.
1: That is big. Yeah. 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 But it's
2: only, but it's crazy. It's only been, mm-hmm. what, nine, we were recording this in July. It's only been nine, 10 months since we've hit, really hit retail shelves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, the yeah the, the the brand affinity that we've been able to build up during the pandemic has kind of carried over because people now know us a little bit more than they would have you know if we'd launched beforehand so right. um it has been a pretty crazy whirlwind of the last yeah you know, 16 18 months
1: I yeah. bet. do you guys go direct to consumer
2: oh still yeah yeah so, so people can buy us on either drinksanzo.com which is where we had been drinksanzo.com from, yep mm-hmm. from the beginning of the pandemic and then starting in like this past january um we've launched on amazon hmm. so those are the two primary channels where people can get us um you know at, at their homes if they want to buy us in bulk but we also sell on fresh direct thrive uh, thrive, thrive market um good eggs for people who may listen in san francisco um, a lot of like and even actually for say for the asian asian american consumer um uh, we Yummy um these kind of like uh, Asian marketplaces that have mm-hmm. come up. So, now,
1: it, yeah. I'm very fascinated by this part and that's why I ask. <laughs> I want to go down this road oh, that's good. and this, I guess, is more for me than it is for the listeners unless the listeners are also interested okay. in this. Um, do you find it easier working direct with consumer, taking those order and just shipping it directly to a residence or working with the vendors sure. like the Whole Foods, like uh, all these other locations?
2: Yeah, I mean, that dynamic has shifted quite a bit. So I would have said about a year and a half ago, um, easily going to direct consumer the best route. But as we've now begun to scale, you know, just to put some math out here, uh, if you can imagine like a pallet of our product that's 200 cases, we would either have to send that out to 200 different, in theory, 200 different households in the United States. So case by case, paying all those shipping costs, or we did we we just did this in Um, in Berkeley, in this retailer called Berkeley Bowl, we literally did a 600 case drop, three pallets. So we literally just had a truck drop off three pallets in front of this one store. I mean, to me, it sounds a lot easier as you scale to just drop off the pallets in one location versus having to ship it nationwide. Um, But you do get a really different type of customer interaction going direct to consumer, right? So we can actually email, text, um, you know, Instagram DM uh now we've you know that's we, amazing just in the last month we've really started investing a lot more in TikTok so being able to go like direct there like the interactions and the brand building is kind of unparalleled direct to consumer
1: so that's where it's at when when you want to build a bridge to your customer yeah directly. I would say
2: I would say especially like for a brand that's getting started in the earliest days it, it that level of interaction is you you can't we actually even now have have a hard time replicating that in whole foods or any of the number of retailers that we're in right now you just you just can't you're not you're not there interacting with the customers they're picking up your can and checking out
1: how's how's that work with your bottom line is it cheaper for you or is it more profitable for you to work to drop off those three pallets or go direct to consumer
2: definitely the three pallets
1: right yeah yeah even though you're splitting profits because i guess the cost of shipping each one
2: yeah at the so at, at a smaller volume you know, if we're not doing the three pallet drops, like it might look a little bit different. Um, But the bet is that any retailer will give you, like, you'll be able to build up the business to that point. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, like a, a walk slow in the beginning, but to be able to sprint. Whereas direct to consumer is kind of like a consistent jog. It's kinda kind That
1: it. is a great analogy. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. Direct con- to consumer is a consistent jog and working with the large vendors or so it's, it's more like a crawl walk run relationship oh yeah,
2: oh, yeah. and nick like, you definitely i mean we you, know, we, we you take your licks in the beginning um you're investing quite a bit that's why you know, especially beverages can be a pretty capital intensive business um but that but the idea is that as 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 shoppers of whole foods who are going there more consistently just continue to see your product they get more familiar with it eventually pick it up and then it just becomes more routine for them to add it to their cart you know every time that they go
1: hearing you speak it sounds so easy but there's a couple of things that goes through my mind like <laughs> i'm just trying to imagine myself if i was starting sure. a beverage company and i'm like yeah that sounds easy it's a layup but then when i actually think about putting the elbow grease in and and all of this work getting my hands
2: dirty mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like man the barrier to entry is great is it not it's quite high. I think the, the way I would describe it is, it is not that hard in, in, in the grand scheme of things to start a beverage company. It is actually, as I'm learning, quite difficult and almost next to impossible to really scale it. So if you actually get out of, if you break out of that first and second like uh, stage, you you must have really hit on something because it's actually quite difficult
1: so it's kind of like driving a manual car you got to get out <laughs> yeah. after you get out of first yeah. or second gear it's yeah. easier yeah what the hell made you want to do it if it was that difficult or if I mean, the I, odds of winning sure are just that much against you why would you play the, play that hand
2: i was fortunate enough to be quite naive <laughs> and ah. ignorant about the difficulties around it and i think if you kind of look at most um entrepreneurial journeys that i guess oh, I mean, there's some survivorship bias but the ones you read about a lot of those entrepreneurs were kind of actually fortunate to be a bit ignorant because if you kind of knew what it was you might not actually start it um and for me i i think ultimately why this versus some other kind of widgets company um there really was just like a familial emotional personal cultural aspect to it that it's interesting when i talk to a lot of entrepreneurs they would say that if they ever had that or if they ever had what you know i kind of feel like we have with the you know the Asian inspiration, and how yeah how personal it is. That might actually cause them to not do it. For me, it was actually the opposite. It was the thing that I felt like could carry me in times that would be quite difficult. Was hey, we think we're actually trying to advance cultures, bridge cultures. I um, actually try to do something different um, on the shelf, and also you know I'll say like. I'm one of the few brown entrepreneurs in this space. It is quite a homogenous space. And so feeling like, Hey, there's a bigger aim here. Are you getting a lot of support from the community? Oh yeah, quite a bit. I mean, I'd say, especially since we've gotten initial traction, um, it's made, you know, whether raising investment dollars or getting distribution, it's definitely become quite a bit easier for us now. Beginning, you know, as with anything, you know, off the street, no one, knew, you know, you have to, no one knows who you are. You don't have that credibility. You don't have that validation. Um, so you really have to create it for yourself. But I would say now especially, we're starting to get a, a quite a lot more benefit of, benefit of the doubt. Awesome.
0: So you also mentioned that um, the DTC portion of it really yeah. helped with your retail side, right? Sure. With the wholesalers. And usually, I know back then, CPG is usually the reverse, right? You you have to rely on to get your products into the wholesaler to even get it out there. Sure to begin with. So, what were some of your early experiences like when uh, maybe, I don't know if it was before you DTC or not, trying to get into retailers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh,
2: it
1: w- And what's DTC for so, yeah, DTC everybody like me listening? So,
2: direct to consumer. So, essentially there selling, you, uh, you know, for most folks it's selling on, you know, whatever.com
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, instead of having to sell into a retailer where you sell to the retailer who then sells to the end consumer. Or in the world of beverages in many ways, you are selling to a distributor who sells to a retailer who sells to a consumer. So this is a way you're actually selling literally, yeah, like direct to the consumer. Thank you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so it's interesting for us, like I I did not ever intend for Sanzo to be a direct to consumer business. And in many ways I still don't I I still really don't because I still don't ultimately think that's where it's going to scale. So I actually started Literally in my apartment in Long Island City, Queens, 500 square foot apartment, literally loading that up with product and then taking either Ubers, subways, um, buses with a hand trolley and walking up and down the street to stores trying to get them to take product in. And it was really as simple as, yeah, like literally just showing up. Um, Sometimes with some success, Mm -hmm. I literally, and there's a market on, I want to say it's 20th and First Avenue, um, was kindly and then not so kindly asked to leave um, um,
1: so it's like you're a hip-hop artist and yeah. you're trying to sell your yeah, cds yeah. out the back of the trunk, out the back of
0: the trunk. So, yep. straight up old school code calling yeah. going to the go going right into that absolutely and
2: i think the, the difference for us was and this was from really good advice from folks who had started their own businesses was don't just go up and down the street to every business you know be pretty selective about the ones you want to work with um, because that's how you can kind of generate your initial brand brand equity. So our ver- our first ten stores were
1: that's great advice, by the
2: yeah, way. Yeah. So yeah. Our, our first ten stores were kind of like natural, like you know, more prominent natural food stores where there's a bit more of a halo. You know, our product isn't the cheapest. You know, we're not selling Lacroix here. Um, and then, frankly, it was. And this is where you know, really indebted to the you know to the API AAPI community was really like you know, a- like premium Asian food service. So you know, one of our first. Um, seven clients was David Chang and Momofuku and that was for the most part kind of a, like a cold outreach um, that you know when once Momofuku took it on that allowed us to have a conversation with I think you've interviewed him too Wilson Tang from Namwa, um, and other folks my in, guy on I love St. Mark's and LES man. Chinatown mm-hmm. and so it's just like yeah. once you start building up a, like a couple of those wins mm-hmm. it gets a you know it gets like just a hair easier but then then you have to think about scaling, but that, that's a, that, that's another part of the conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how did you put pens of paper? Like, how did you use what you know? Like right? I, I think Bruce Lee said something like this: like knowing is half the battle, right? Yeah. And a lot of people, and uh, that I've just this is just from the eye test. I, I and I speak to a lot of smart people, and then I and then I end leaving that conversation going, how come you didn't make more of yourself? How mm. come? You're at where you are with all this knowledge that you have. And then I go, because they didn't do the other half. Yeah. That's the problem. Which part did you find harder? Was it the research or or gaining the knowledge? Or was it actually making those phone calls, getting out there, getting the reps in?
2: Sure. Well, there's a whole lot to dive into there. So I think to your point around why sometimes otherwise either highly credentialed or just naturally intelligent folks, you know, it doesn't happen. Um, I think it's because whether it's in today's society or just maybe just like a general commentary on humans, um, most of this, the, I'll say conclusions that we draw about the world around us are drawn from like second principles or drawn from like secondary sources of information, right? We get, we, we read something or we listen to something and then we just kind of put it through a filter and just kind of say, okay, this is fact. Um, Elon Musk actually talks about this a lot. This idea of first principles thinking, which means getting down to like the source of data or information, and then from there, putting together independently, like shutting out everything you know about everything that the world tells you, and actually putting together something for yourself. Um, and so, I think for me, that part was in some ways the most difficult because it's not what you're taught in school, right? What you're taught in school, if you go to especially really good ones is, hey, get good grades, right? If you get good grades and get good, get, get good SAT scores, get into like a great college. They teach
1: you how to take tests well.
2: Right. You go to these great colleges, get the best grades you possibly can because that allows you to get a job at Goldman Sachs or Google or Boston Consulting Group or Bain or wherever, McKinsey, um, or go to, or take the LSAT and go to law school, right? It's like, it's just like, a, it's like a constant, drilling of here is what you need to do to advance to the next level. But I do think that in in this world, whether it's starting a company, or for a lot of folks who are in the creative arts, um, you know, whether it's film, or music, or art, or what have you, um, that doesn't actually play as well to creating something that's actually original. Um, and look, I'm not gonna go out and sit here and say that Sanzo is this most um, the most like original thing that's ever been you know created. Certainly not, um, you know, creating an electric car. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where the beginning of Sanzo started. And so for me, like when you ask what is more difficult, it, it, it's a bit of a different. It, it, it's two different things. Like the, to me, that part was very difficult mentally. I think the going up and down the street, and knocking on doors, and doing all that was hard because it doesn't. Um, it doesn't come naturally to folks who have kind of sat behind a desk and have done certain trades. Like I was, uh, a nuclear engineer, then investment banker, and then a startup employee by trade. It's not natural. Yeah.
1: You were literally a what nuclear engineer?
2: Yeah. So the first three years out of college, I worked at a nuclear power plant as an engineer. Um, then I worked as as an investment banker for JP Morgan for two years. And then for the five years before Sanzo, um, worked as like a head of growth. You did IB for how many years? I worked on a trade, yeah, for two years. Yeah. And so, like, you kind of get, you kind of, you learn that you're only supposed to do certain things. Um, and so, I'd say the hardest thing about starting this business, candidly, was unlearning a lot of what those kinds of roles taught me to learn and almost say, like, not quote unquote, like, condescend yourself to, right? Like, I think for the most part, folks who are sitting in those kinds of industries, would say it's not worth my time or energy, or i've worked too hard to now go up and down the street and talk to like a shop owner or like a like a like a manager of a of a of a bodega um i kind of why I found that this was my calling was I actually really enjoyed those conversations they were invigorating they they made me want to do more of it
1: right aren't they and, and and only people that are in it knows exactly what you're talking about when yeah. you meet these new when you uh, foster these new relationships and and it just grows from there there's there's just something that feels great about that and it's it's like i would compare it to when you're a kid and you make a new friend and you get excited about that friend you're hanging out and then you start building a relationship Mm -hmm. but you guys have a common goal and you guys are building together sure in a sense where it's a symbiotic relationship i'm helping you Mm -hmm. and you're helping me so I, I think that's a, that's a fantastic way to begin a relationship.
2: Yeah, and I think to that point, I mean, to kind of put on that analogy, there are some folks, I'll say, in those worlds for whom they're fine making, just having the friends that they have, I and mean, like, uh, like, that's the world for them, that's awesome. Like, I'm not actually trying to cast judgment on folks who take that path, but I think it's more of for folks who, because you brought up ex- the, the, the archetype of a person who you feel like almost had like way more potential to do more. Right. And why don't they? It's the, it's, it's, they get a lot like, like the folks who are in that spot. I think it's because they get comfortable.
1: That's it. Want to, long story short, they get yeah. comfortable. Yeah. You did bring up some ideas that made me think about how you had to rethink mm. at a, an older age. You had to think, rethink your entire life and the way you were raised to think, attack problems, address examinations figure out solutions, relationships, you had to go back to the drawing board and almost erase everything you thought you knew in order to be successful. Now, I can't tell you what level of emotional, intellectual intelligence that takes. That takes enormous, that, that awareness. It's just incredible because how many people are willing to change the rules on themselves sure. and go look the game has changed so i need to change and adapt and you essentially rebuilt yourself into this new person from a nuclear engineer <laughs> and which i didn't know by the way <laughs> uh, investment banker and this is crazy because i know investment bankers right and i know people that are engineers and i could never imagine them trying to go into a beverage industry it's dumb <laughs> <laughs> but i mean what like, what was that tick where you go yeah i do need what was it one day you were just watching a, a, an interview on youtube with elon and, and then hmm. you go you know what Yep, this is it right here sure like
2: what what was that i think so the first part of that is what i was before being comfortable saying it doesn't matter what I, doesn't matter what I did before. It's kind of like who I am and who, and what, who I want to be and what I want to do. And so like not almost like casting that aside, like not caring that that's what I used to do. Um, am I good? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The sunken cost fallacy. How did you
1: get over that? You make it seem so easy. Yeah. And here I am, if I invest something, it, so much time into something that I don't even want, I eventually pay for it anyway, because I'm like, I'm already here, might as well just get something out of it.
2: I mean, I guess it's like, if you really want to take it all the way to its natural end, it's, I have a pretty decent uh, awareness of my mortality. <laughs> it's like, we only have one life that we're living here. And so, well, it's that, and also perhaps a bit of a, an earlier awareness that no one actually really cares about you. Like in the sense that like, you're the, the you're, way you think, the way that you think so. It's like you're the only person who really, really cares about either how you're perceived or like what you're doing over the course of your life. Um,
1: that took me a long time to learn, a yeah. long time, yeah. And I would like to admit, interesting. Yeah. How long? Oh my gosh, <laughs> like last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it took me a while, you know. It was, um, it, when I had my first child, cool. Uh, I, I for some reason don't. The whole world started i don't know it was because i just decided that i never wanted to look at reality in the face mm. but when i as soon as i became a dad i just started looking at the world for what it is <laughs> not what i think it is and it kind of grew from there and i started realizing what's important and what's not and then i started evaluating all of my relationships i did a internal audit sure of my friendships my my partnerships my my business relationships and i cut out all of the fat and i mean all of it <laughs> and i and that's why i said i did it later than i would like to admit because when i did it it was only then that i knew for sure that there was so much fat mm. there that was holding me back in life And since I became a father, when I made those changes, my life, I I got more time, I got my health back, uh, more clarity of thought, and my happiness level just shot through the roof. And that's what I mean by getting rid of all the fat, you get rid of the toxicity, you get rid of all the negativity, you get rid of the people who aren't really on your team like you think they are. And if they're not, that's okay. But then you have to look at the relationships for what it is. Therefore, you won't have that frustration because there's that expectation of that someone. It may not be fair. Maybe that person never really wanted that relationship like that to begin with. And you have that relationship and expectation of them and they just could never hit it because they just don't love you like that or Mm -hmm. they don't think of you like that to your (laughs) point, right? And I had to look at it like, all right, do they love me like that? Do they think of me like that? And if it's no, it's fine. Yep. I just got to cut it off then. I got to look at the relationship for what it is. And those that love me like that, then we can get it on. You know, we can have a relationship. We can build together. We can have fun together. Because I know that you're willing to put that energy in my life. Yep. And and you're willing to work for our relationship. That it's that it's not always going to be 80-20. It's not always going to be me calling you. Hey, you want to come out? Sure. Hey, you want to do this? Hey. Or if it's a business partnership. Hey, is this done? Hey, is this... Is this there, hey, I think all of this, what do you think? Hey, blah, blah, blah. And it's always me. And I, I think the people listening can completely understand from either it's a relationship you have with a significant other, that you're the one that always outreaching, or friend, sure, or maybe even your f- siblings, your family members, or even your business partners, where you're the one, where you feel you are constantly having to corral everyone. And you're going 80 and they're going 20. And that's incredibly frustrating. So that's why I had to do this full audit in my life. Mm-hmm. And, I get, and I tell you, I'm super happy. And you create s- space for other people to come and fill it. And it, they will come and fill it. As long as you <laughs> go out there and put in the work, people will naturally magnetize to you.
2: I, I mean, I, I, I would wonder, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a father yet, but hopefully soon in the next couple of years. I gotta believe it's also, some, some of that stems from the fact that for the first time you were actually not the most important person in your own life, yeah, <laughs> right. A big,
1: a big part of it was
2: was getting my uh, ego in check. Sure, that's a big part of it. I feel like that is, I mean, going back to the question that you posed before about like why don't you know people with a lot of potential like realize it? To me, that's it. It's like it really boils down to as simple as ego and pride.
1: Yeah, it's it's swallowing it and just going um like you said you're very aware of life your time here sure and in a sense for lack of a better word i guess in my vocabulary you kind of went yolo (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: yeah Yeah. i mean like you know you and, and i think especially with regards to entrepreneurship i mean there's a look like i'm ultimately motivated i don't even want to say it's like motivated by money but this idea that I do like business and there's at least a a scoreboard and a proxy for how much value you create or how much people think of your, of your business. And when you essentially looked at like the Forbes billionaire lists in the world, literally the only person other than Warren Buffett, like literally Warren Buffett is the only person on that list that is not a true, almost like you would call like a true entrepreneur. Although he kind of is because he started, he started Berkshire Hathaway. Everyone else on that list has created, something and obviously there is a lot of conversation to be had about you know income inequality and um, you know how did these folks you know build their business and businesses and I think that's totally a fair um, you know path to go down but ultimately yeah like there's a part of the, the, the competitive side in me that was like if you are going to like knowing your core drives and that, that that is something that you want to compete in in that arena the only way you're gonna do it is by kind of taking a bit of a leap um, And starting something of your own and you know the the idea of like yeah that like one yeah i'm kind of like rambling now but ownership is key yeah
1: i mean there there's there's a lot of smart things that you're saying within your ramble um and i i think what i'm extrapolating from it is you're communicating that ownership is key for you to hit the forbes or to reach a level of success that where you feel you deserve wherever that may be and i like that i like that idea i like that premise the idea of ownership this is my company that i built there's some pride in in
2: that in those words there are there there is some pride Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you kind of hit it on the head too with when i was evaluating what to do and like why kind of to extent like why this it's because Knowing how hard the journey could be, kind of, I I needed to know, like, other than selling, like, selling a widget wouldn't have given, me, like, how do I say this? I wanted to be, I basically wanted to be able to have my cake and eat it too, right? Both feel like, hey, we're both doing well for yourself individually, but also, candidly, I, and I would say this is more important, that we're doing something for, for the community, that we're trying to um, grow something that is, you know, representative of, of a culture that had not been properly represented. Uh, hopefully that if we're, you know, as we grow, we're able to divert resources back to that community. Like that's all certainly, to me, like all of those aspects, aspects are certainly part of the of the drive. But, and I think with entrepreneurship especially, it's like, it's such a hard journey that you need to have, and you need to know what your primary drivers are, I think, to be successful. It could be to a certain degree, a level of, um, narcissism or what have you i think frankly for many entrepreneurs it is Um, Mm -hmm. we all want to see ourselves on some kind of list or something or something like that um and just owning it (laughs) yeah it it, it
1: goes to part of building your corporate culture yeah and i know that sounds taboo when you hear the word corporate corporate but let's just say any uh company's culture or uh, a club's culture right or a team culture right so however you want to put it that's that's the culture that you're bringing And you do need profits Mm -hmm. to keep the company alive. People need to get paid. People need to eat. That's in any organization, right? So that's not evil within itself. And I don't find success or wild success to be related to that at all. I mean, it's up to the individual. However, it can't just be about money. It has to be something much larger because if it's just about money, then I, I believe that there's a part that just feels shallow. Yep.
0: The money's only like a certain motivator to a certain point absolutely right yep. I
1: think most people would off the bat if they saw your business plan they wouldn't like what <laughs> you, you want to sell <laughs>
2: lychee what other flavors do you have uh, Calamansi and Al- I don't even know what that is it's from the Philippines uh-huh. um, imagine a like a tangerine and a lime having like a baby together essentially it's like a lime on the outside you cut it open it's orange what is
1: what is your biggest seller
2: uh, lychee's number one lychee, lychee. Okay. Yeah, yeah. surprise um, surprise but it's actually <laughs> between Calamansi and Alfonso Mango which is from India, um, they, depending on the market, depending on the sales channel, you know, depending on how you slice how and slice the data, um, they actually kind of pretty like, evenly vie for, for number two. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, those are, the, those are the three flavors.
0: So those are three pretty unique flavors. Like even us as Asian, they know what kalamasi yeah, was, right? Yeah. When you brought this up to non-Asian individuals, what were their first initial reactions to these flavors?
2: same level of like what is this? Um actually I feel like I was I've been surprised that uh and again this is you know we're in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our distribution is essentially in New York, LA and San Francisco. So, you know, and, and other you know, let's say the, the suburbs and the exurbs around um these metros. But I was actually surprised at just how many people actually were familiar with lychee. Um it's not as foreign as you as as you might think. Calamante for sure. Um and for those folks it's just like It's a better line, you know, like, and and that's kind of, and I think it's important to kind of meet people where they are and relate Mm -hmm. to what, you know, they know. Um, The way I tend to describe it is it's like, you know, heirloom tomatoes to regular tomatoes, Meyer lemons to regular lemons. Like I just have a whole, like a whole bunch of just like other analogies that people might already be more familiar with. Because for me, my crusade is that on this pure product pitching, um, but that like, (laughs) calamansi is actually the best <laughs> citrus fruit in the world like it should be the default yeah. lime because it's so darn where can i good. get uh calamansi
1: like can i use it as a lime replacement for sure. everything else that oh i usually gosh, yeah. put lime in absolutely the, the issue, even mexican
2: food yeah i think so that's
1: where i put most of my lime and pho okay. and pho yeah
2: we have to check with Vietnamese folk whether or their food. So are Let, us know. Any, Let uh, us know.
1: We need know, to check with battles. the Vietnamese. We also got to check with the Mexicans because
2: yeah. they got so, like, hey, hold on, hold cause, on. Cause they, what I, is I, this? What are these <laughs> Asians trying to do to our food? So, yeah, check in with everybody. Yeah. But um, no, it, it can certainly serve as a good substitute. And in, yeah, and, and in the Philippines, it often does.
1: Where can I get it? Is it at a Filipino supermarket? Yeah. So things.
2: I mean, that's the That is like the kind of interesting part about it, whether it's, well, lychee are a bit bit more uh, readily available. Calamansi and Alfonso Mango, very, very difficult. Actually, the only place I've been able to find Calamansi is literally here in Chinatown. Um, What? You go to certain bodegas, they're selling Calamansi trees. In Chinatown? Oh yeah. Where? (laughs) Just, I I mean, like you just go up and down the the certain markets and they just, if they have a tree sitting outside or they have Mm -hmm. other plants, if you go around, you see, like, I don't know, succulents or other plants, and then uh-huh. you see, like, a big tree with a certain kind of fruit. Many times. Oh, is a, that calamansi? That's a, that's a calamansi? Is it like an orange outside? Yeah. That. Oh,
1: I
0: know what it is. Okay. I know what it looks like. I might have to look it up later. People are listening, later. probably Googling <laughs> this, like, <laughs> looking up. Like, I'm even shocked you mentioned it's more of like a floral shop that you're finding it at than not even just a normal grocery store.
2: Correct. There really isn't anything. I mean, there, there was, uh, I don't know how much they're still doing, but I know there, there had been a brand a couple of years ago called Mansi, uh, which is essentially, um, yeah, I think like a cleaner, like a limeade type Mm -hmm. of type of of beverage. Um, but otherwise, like even calamansi, the fruit, you'll mostly find it only in specialty, um, yeah, like literally farms in either Florida or in the Central Valley in California. Otherwise, and like for us, we're getting, that, we're getting that from Asia. We're getting that from the Philippines. Yeah. You know, there's so many tasty, delicious types of
1: fruits from other cultures. Yeah. That we have no idea about. What are, other,
2: what are some others that stand out? I mean, this is kind of jumping the gun here, but we're in R&D for three more flavors coming out um, early next year. Can you uh, share? I'll tease. I'll tease one of them. All right, <laughs> for all you Sanzo drinkers, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing them. this for y'all. <laughs> uh, well, we're going. To, one of the flavors we're going to, we're going to be launching is Asian pear.
1: Oh, I love Asian pear. Yeah, and like, oh, again, like, they're so expensive.
2: Yes, to to a degree. It, it, like when you're dealing, with, what we're learning, and this happens with Alfonso mango as well. is When you buy them in in a puree form and in bulk, like you know, we're buying now our lychee juice and mango juice and calamansi juice by literally like the container load. Um, it actually comes down in cost pretty dramatically. A lot of it is the, you know, the packaging, right? Like you buy an an Asian pear and it's got like the the fancy styrofoam thing in front of it, or it's wrapped, or it's all that kind of stuff. So like a lot of it's the transport. Um, But to us, that's another fruit where it's like, when you just grow up and are based in the U.S., like, you know, I think if we were to mention any kind of pear to an American, you would think, you know, a Bartlett pear, you know, like the brown one, right? Mm -hmm. Or a D'Angelo, or if you want to go a little fancier, or the... Anjus, like the the lighter yellow ones, but they have that you know that that pear shape that everyone thinks about. Right. Um, what we're basically saying with coming out with Asian pear is like, no, like this is a different kind of pear. But like,
1: it is the yeah, best pear. I would agree.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, you like,
1: can't like, even compare. It is. No. You bite into an Asian pear. It's like just think of like the juiciest pear you ever had, and it had a baby with like an apple or something. And it's it's just so damn juicy, flavorful, just the right amount of sweetness. Yeah. The texture, the crunch—it's just—it's it's all there. It doesn't yeah. it? Doesn't break down. It's not squishy like a regular sure. pear, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It has more texture, more like an apple, but it's not as um, tart. Tart, yeah, yep. tart, yeah. and and it's not. Uh, uh, it, but it still has this pear kind of thing going on. It's
2: less grainy feeling. Yes, that's it. That's, yeah. it. that's know, the word I'm looking
1: it's, for. It's grainy. like the
2: perfect marriage of an apple and yeah. a pear.
1: It's so yeah. awesome. But I—they I, have this. Anyone in the tri-state area? I, oh man, where is it in Jersey? I went to this couple of years ago before covid i went pear asian pear picking that's cool in jersey and it was uh, i was just destroying it i was (laughs) i I must ate like three um, and and it's filling too which is crazy i had three and i was tapping out i was like man i'm i'm pretty full it's healthy yep um and there's this thing in 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 the chinese culture called yi Okay. um it's like literally translated what is
0: it like hot air Right? I mean, literal translation is hot air, but that's more like when you eat like, so much unhealthy food, just feel all like, oh, right. that like.
1: Yeah, you feel like fire. You ever I, eat certain yeah. foods and you feel like a lot of fire inside? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Spicy is one of them, or uh, whole fat fried- Doritos. You know, yeah. 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 Fried foods, mm-hmm. uh, I guess uh, Chinese people would label that as yihei. And. You have too much on that, your body's off balance and, mm-hmm. and that can cause like a lot of people to get uh, sometimes like herpes to come out on their lips if they have herpes mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Um, it can cause people to feel very uh, off or dry sure. or sick or even temperamental. Just They just feel off for whatever reason. And Asian pear is known as, I'm totally like marketing this for like <laughs> all the Asian pear people sellers, um, but it's the truth uh it, it does cool you down it's, like it's the opposite kind of thing yeah, yeah. that's exactly it yep. and um uh that's that's what a lot of asian people look to to eat full foods to cool your body down so you're mm-hmm. not sure. in a state of uh yee
2: why i bring up asian pear because you, you asked about new, like, new flavors and other things that are out there it's my general belief it kind of goes back to the, the original thesis of the brand is that we're representing flavors of Base literally sixty percent of the world's population, but whether it's supply chain stuff or other cultural stuff, just to me, it just never been given their proper due on American grocery shelves. But like I do believe that Americans like, as anyone does, likes tasty things. Sandra, and so, you're into you're as as, onto something. As there. long as it's like delicious, and I guess the other part of it too is you know marketed properly, branded properly. You know, in in uh, I think packaging, especially for what we do, is a is a huge component of why people will pick something up. If we get that right. It's it can hit right it, it, and, and, and to me like that's to your point there's so much out there and again I'm only gonna I'm only gonna tease one there's more that <laughs> we're already in R and D for but it's this argument to me about getting back to first principles which is why aren't why hasn't Asian stuff taken hold at least yet it's like we just maybe as a world as a society just haven't been ready for it but now I think we are right a lot of the work that's been done over the last decade plus whether it's food writers restaurateurs um, frankly, yeah, like social, like social activists to make um, you know our flavors more of a thing. Like I just remember now going into supermarket stores, the idea of seeing sriracha flavored potato chips, right? Um, you know, gochujang flavored potato right. chips, like it's crazy.
1: You know, there's um, but, this untapped potential that you see it. You get little examples of pockets in there where you see a lot of non-Asians in. Like I remember. When people had no idea what pho was mm-hmm. or ramen, mm-hmm. right, and they just thought it was just this little thing you add hot water to yep. and it's a wrap, all right? Uh, something that uh people in college eat, you know, yep. kids in college, uh, cheap eats, right? Mm-hmm. But then it had this huge explosion when they really understood what good ramen was. When they really understood what pho was, it became an explosion where you even have people who are not Asian. <laughs> I remember looking up on how to make my own pho and ramen at home, yep. and it was some white YouTubers. Was it good? To, yeah, yeah. Props <laughs> to those white YouTubers. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I'm, you know, what made me go, at first I was like, wow, I mean, this, th- th- these guys got like millions of views on this. It must be good. And then tons of like, likes. So I was like, all right, so social proof. There you go. All right, yeah. let me give this a shot. And I'm listening to them talk and I'm like, wait, this actually makes sense. All right. So I could look past the fact that you're white and you're telling me how to mm-hmm. make an Asian dish. So I went and did it. I was like, man, this is, Freaking delicious! That was that was pretty good, man. And then it made me go think on a level where I'm going, shit, this is gonna be mainstream. And then it happened. Then you started yep. seeing all of these floor restaurants and ramen restaurants outside of Chinatown sure. into these into these hip areas where people eat. But then the problem was that now you're paying twenty twenty five dollars for a bowl of noodles, <laughs> whereas I, where I used to pay five dollars for the same exact thing, sure. except yeah. that you just got it. <clears throat> know the decor looks nicer and and when i look around it's not asians but it just goes to show that there's a market out here that's untapped potential and i think i think there will be an asian explosion not only in 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 the form of entertainment right but in the form of our cultural identity and what people find valuable and i think it's food i think food is really going to be what's going to be the catalyst to start bridging us, kind of like what K-pop did mm-hmm. yep. for, so for that
0: part of the world. Yeah. I mean, this is actually, I would say, really just the beginning, right? Like you said, it's a pinnacle. It's the beginning of exporting culture through food, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Uh, look at just the popularity itself of, of Thai food itself. It's one practically in every corner, yep. If you think about it. Yeah. Um, Vietnamese, what... You used to tell people, hey, um, I want to bring you to this place with noodles, raw beef in there. But it's going to be delicious. Non-Asian, <laughs> they're probably going to say no. Oh, I'm going to bring you to a place, which is ingenious still, where you're going to cook your own food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right?
1: I, I think I saw Anthony Bourdain yeah. said, it, said this. And I think this sums it up pretty well. It's if you really want to understand someone's culture, eat their food. Mm-hmm. Eat
2: their food. Yep. Yep. 100%. Right? Mm-hmm. Was, it, was it Anthony Bourdain? It was definitely Anthony Bourdain. That was
0: his culture, essentially. Right? That was his motto is you live through the food. That's why you visit so many different countries. And the main thing is you have to keep yourself open-minded to what you're going to try.
1: Now, let's talk about open-minded because there's some shit that I will not eat. There's All right. <clears throat> and and I shouldn't say shit. Sorry. Apologies. There's some things that I will not eat. Um, one, you're Filipino. I am. And I think you know where I'm going to go with yep. this. <laughs> Balut. Mm. Can you explain to everyone what that is? Uh, and my wife is Filipino, by the way. So... <laughs> But I will not eat balut.
2: It's a fetus of a, of a of a duck, and you just, you know, it, it visually hasn't, you know, when you open up the egg hasn't f- fully developed, but it's also not just an egg yolk. So you can um, see the head, see the, the head. eyes, yeah, the feather, and you basically suck on so, the brains and eat that. You suck. So- um, oh, so wait, well, you, you, well, gotta you suck on the. Actually, this. this I'll, I'll I'll even say I have never had it, and I'm kind of i i i, I haven't gotten over that hump, so I don't even <laughs> really go too deep into how you how you eat it or even what you do. Cause i I've literally never had it before I'll, so would would
0: you eat a balloon? I've never had it uh, I, see i'm o I'm always open to saying try everything once, if not twice to make sure you really sure, don't like it, sure, so I would say I probably would try it if given the opportunity you know what i'm asking the
1: wrong guy i know you would i mean i for this guy's
0: birthday was it for
1: we pulled a bunch of money oh no no for for norm's birthday we were at this place i don't know if it's open anymore this this japanese restaurant called ninja okay and it it was like everything the concept was pretty interesting uh where they would uh do everything really sneaky where they were like literally ninja and then the food would be kind of weird and smoke coming out and wow like all this Ninja-esque. They'll, like, pop out of ceilings and such. Yeah, they'll pop out, like, dead as popped out of ceilings. And we were like, "Yo, this is... It was really more comical than it was mm-hmm. anything for us. But it was cool. It was a good time. It was a birthday party. We had our own private area out uh, for Norm's birthday. And then we pulled a bunch... After a few drinks, we all pulled a bunch of, like, dollars in singles in, in yeah. and singles and money. And we dared him. or oh, whoever. Uh, and I don't even know how to do something silly with wasabi. It
0: was to... Uh, I think it was, was a, a pea-sized wasabi. And to snort up the nose. Oh, That's right. Gosh. Yeah. And the it was kind of, had to snort up there and you have to hold it for, I think, 30 seconds before I could blow it back out. Before you could blow your nose. I mean, I knew it was going to sting, but I was like, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Why not? I mean, we were young. We were just drunk. Were you single at that time? Yes, I was single at that time. Okay, so there, there's a there's a layer
1: to, to guys do stupid things around girls that they are attracted to. Can, can we all agree on that? Absolutely. Probably. Right. So... There was this waitress that was there, right? At our table. Yeah. And she was cute. She was definitely cute. And all the guys was trying to like, you know, hey, what's up? You know, talk to her. And I think, <laughs> and you can correct I, me about wrong. I, mean, I was even trying. Okay. <laughs> but when he did that, it got her attention. So this guy <laughs> snorted the wasabi. He was like, yo, this is fine. Right after that sentence, he screams. Oh, yeah. Ah! Full falsetto. And then she comes in and she's, she's watching the whole thing go down. She's laughing and she's totally into it. And then she's all of a sudden seems to be every time she went to go take an order or give the food, she would make her way around him.
0: Hey. See, and I'm, I was like,
1: wow, that worked.
0: I'm pretty bad at these things. so I didn't even notice that at all. Yeah.
1: So in my head, I'm like, I'm like well, that's one way to get a girl <laughs> attention, but I will not be doing that. That's This guy's eye bloodshot bloodshot one of his eye complete it looked like someone punched him in the eye like it was yeah
0: so i do not recommend it but i will say <laughs> after i was able to blow it out um i am it was the most clear my sinus has ever been for a whole week a whole week a whole week my son was, was clear wait hold on hold on it, it burned whatever. so after
1: I after the burn you blew your nose the mm-hmm. next let's say you go to bed the next day did you still feel it?
0: No, I didn't feel it, but my sinus was so clean it felt wow. i don't well, recommend how long did it, it, it take
1: your eye to get
0: the eye was probably not at, it was only bloodshot for like maybe 50, less than ten minutes I want to say I don't recall
2: wow. yeah very scary ten minutes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: I know is that i I didn't
2: think.
1: No, anyone's gonna do that. And when we saw him do it, we were just like, "Is this guy crazy?" Again, you gotta try
0: something at least once, right? <laughs> All right
1: that's that's taking it to the extreme. But yeah, you, if he if he snorted wasabi, he would definitely. I'll try balut. Try
2: balut. Try balut. I, I, I would too. I just haven't been in an environment yeah. where someone's put in front of me. Really? Yeah, I absolutely would for yeah. sure. I'm I'm in I'm in the same camp. Yeah. Okay, I would love. I mean, especially to, for my own people. Like I would love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like I apologize if I completely. Butchered the the uh, the description of balut like, as a Filipino. Like, go ahead and cancel. You know himself. what? I should get my wife out. We should get everyone out, <laughs> yeah, and I could watch all eating. of you
1: guys try balut for the first time. I don't think my wife ever had balut. I would. I could watch all you guys have balut for
0: the first time. That'd be Great. We got to break bread at one yeah, point. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. You got to take at least two bites. One yeah. to test it. Two to know that you really don't like it. I'm. I'm.
1: I'll admit right now. I'm. I'm open minded, but not that open minded. If I can see that it yeah. still looks you know together mm-hmm. like it still look like it's original form like except for a pig i think i think a cooked pig and then i see it like you know asian oh, yeah, yeah. like oh yeah oh like yeah, they yeah. yeah the roast pig. They roast hawaiians when i was yeah. in hawaii they roasted a whole pig and we just mm-hmm. did
2: it yesterday at a family party we had lechon oh, oh yeah. that's so delicious so that's why i actually i feel like i should like there's there's no real reason why I should not have the balut because I'm willing to eat the cheeks of the pig when, when, when there's lechon. Like, and it's so good. And it's so good. So it's like, you know, bit of, you're being a little self-hypocritical by saying you won't eat the balut for, yeah. for, for self righteous yeah. reasons. So <laughs> am I really as open-minded as I claim to be?
1: I have to question myself now <laughs> and reevaluate. Um, you said there's this pride that you have in... You're from Jersey. Yep. You moved to New York City and it's known as the Concrete Jungle. You can make it here. You can make it anywhere. And um, there's some pride. You know, when I hear you speak about your company, we're a New York City company. Yep. We're, you know, made in New York. Mm-hmm. And I love Jersey, but I wouldn't go back. I don't want to go back there. You said <laughs> early on. Can I share that?
2: Go for it. All right.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and there wasn't anything negative. Like you have some pride. Yeah.
2: Right. Again, it comes down to ego, right? It's like, I grew up, and I, and I actually will say this. This one is an evolving thought. Because, um, like, I'm 33 now, and I feel like, whether it's most kids, or at least I did, spent a lot of childhood or college years, or even right after that, just trying to run away, kind of, it's effectively trying to, like, I don't know, like run away from home. Um And actually, as I've gone, as I've... Like, in a literal sense, run away from home? No, run away, but just, like you know, grow up or get, okay, past, you know, okay. I, and I don't know how much of those, you know, I was the youngest of three boys, all that jazz, but I was looking to just, you know, be my own man kind of, gotcha. kind of dynamic. And, you know, I'm actually, I think, yeah, this one I can share. Um, you know, I, I, am if folks here are familiar with the Asian hustle network, they're putting together a book and, um, you know, my story will be chronicled in, in that book when it comes out. One of the things I actually talk about there, and it's a bit of like a self-reflective journey is, my, is that actually the area that I grew up in New Jersey, I think actually helped me to launch this company in that grew up in just like a super diverse area. Like where, where in Jersey is that? Central New Jersey, a town called Sayreville. Um, oh, Sayreville.
1: I know Sayreville. Okay. Um, my sister used to live in South Amboy. Oh, interesting. There you go. Oh, right there, yeah. But like
2: literally like that area, mostly, I mean, candidly, mostly white. My, 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 my family was one of the first like wave of Asian families coming in. Um, you know, so but, but predominantly, you know, predominantly Italian, Irish and um, Polish American, but grew up eating a lot of those foods. You know, you go to the next town over, you get really, really good Portuguese food. You go two towns over, you're basically in Edison and that's like amazing, like anything Asian. Um, and just like, and then you go to New Brunswick, you know, amazing Latin American food. And it's just like, I don't think I would have been able to synthesize, like, the world as is, you know, we talk about, like, mm-hmm. the, the, like learning about other people through, you know, eating their food, that was kind of ingrained in me in the earliest days. And it's actually interesting because, like, I, I would say now and I'm going to almost double back on what I said, you know, when we before we recorded so, sorry. Um, But I would say that, like, now I've definitely grown more of a sense of pride in the area in which I grew up in. I in still, Jersey. In Jersey. I still want to be, I still love the city. I still would, if I could, would love to make everything work here. Although from everyone that I talk to, a lot of my friends now have kids. Um, I don't know if I'm. I don't know how people raise a family here. It's a little. It's kind of tough. Um, but I, I. But what I will say is that, like, yes, like there is absolutely a pride that I have in having started this company here. You know, gone through. You know, we just hit our two year anniversary last um, you know, last week. Um, I still very much view us and want to view us as a New York City-based company because, yeah, it is. The romantic version of, yeah, you, you make it here, you can make it anywhere. Like, absolutely. I think It does have on. some cachet. It is. Yes,
1: right? Say, I'm, hey, yeah. you know, my company is in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, New, York, New Jersey is so underrated. My story is actually similar to yours except that I'm from New York City, yep. born and raised. Mm-hmm. And then... I go hang out in Jersey, I have family, I have friends there, and I'm like, yo, this place is super underrated, they have yeah. awesome, awesome hiking trails, amazing restaurants, yeah. uh, so many things to do for families, um, shopping, uh, I mean, you name it, it's, they have all parks, I mean, there's just so many incredible things to do in Jersey. I mean, minus the taxes are pretty damn high in certain areas. But in the tri-state area, I mean, if you want in a, anywhere with a good school district, you're going to have to pay for that. But Jersey is just a great place to be. I had so much fun in Jersey where <laughs> where I had to rethink the way I looked at Jersey. You know, they used to say that's New York's dump, right? Yeah. Or the armpit. Of the or the armpit. Of the yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, thank yeah. you. But I'm just going... I don't know. I, I don't think that's a fair assessment of Jersey. I I actually like. I kind of like Jersey, I, and I'm a New Yorker. As a New Yorker, wow! Are
2: you shouldn't sure yeah. say that on. Here? And, and
1: that's. I, I'm gonna get a knock on my door. Hey, Will, we're gonna have to take your New York
2: card. I think the biggest thing that I would say is it's important as life goes on and things happen, whether it's family, age, what have you, to just constantly reevaluate you know it's like it's a good bit to me it gets back to the whole pride and ego thing you know yeah. you can you can change your position yeah <laughs>
1: but you, you know what most of the people that i feel that have this negative outlook or view of jersey or anywhere they probably haven't lived there yeah i think that's really it you're getting someone that's telling you that this sucks don't don't go there and you're like yeah you haven't you ever lived there and like nah their experience is just a micro they may have visited once or a couple of times and they just really didn't know where to go and and that's it and jersey has amazing views along the waterfront you oh, got yeah. a hoboken yeah. jersey city oh, yeah. we in west new york edgewater uh and, and what's what's above it? fort lee i don't know fort fort lee yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the gw george washington yep. bridge area. George i mean White. it's
2: it's nice, man. The views there are outstanding. And if you haven't been down to South Jersey, I mean, some of the, the most amazing farms and farmlands. In, That's right. In at least this part of the country, if not, like, the, the country, you know, there's, uh, yeah. It, yeah, it feels like a completely
1: different area. So, uh, for everyone that has a... Uh, uh, this would be
2: an ad for New Jersey. Yeah. You know I don't mean? <laughs> <laughs> think we'd be riffing about this today.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm New Yorker, like, raised, and I'll be honest, I still hold a preconceived bias of Jersey. I can't see myself moving out there. I've contemplated it. My fiance is a hard no. <laughs> I'm like, would you move there? Weren't you
1: looking at Hoboken at one we point? We were
0: looking at one point, but then the taxes just didn't make sense. We're like, it's aggressive. are aggressive. And mm. the amount we were going to pay is like it's the same things <laughs> we would have paid in like Brooklyn. Sure. Even, right? So I'm like, okay, it's less convenient to travel to. I love Brooklyn, so we even mean. looking at hoboken anymore. <laughs> so we were looking at hoboken for like as a stretch potentially but then nah, we we scrapped it pretty quick in a month
1: yeah a lot of people uh i mean if they look at at those locations i think they're young families uh in the, in those parts of jersey hoboken jersey city where they're young professionals they're either young professionals if, they, if they're young professionals and they're renting they probably live there right mm-hmm um but if they're young professionals and they're family they're probably looking to buy something there that's been my experience mm-hmm. and uh it's 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 this like you kind of it's that bridge of growing up before you have to really grow up oh, yep yeah you know it, it's uh you're not ready to mow the lawn yet you're not ready to <laughs> oh. kind of be a little bit handy <laughs> around the house and do all that stuff or travel to work where it takes over an hour or having a happy hour than having a long mm-hmm. ride home and therefore skipping happy hour or hanging out with your friends all together you're not really ready for that yet but I think as you get older and, and people evolve into other areas in their life they begin to go further and further away from the city life and with COVID it kind of accelerated all of that where people are just like I'm getting I mean, that's like a ninja bomb. They. I know, <laughs> <laughs> and then you looked around these like major metropolitan areas, like, where the hell did everyone go?
0: I definitely know a lot of people that moved out of New York during COVID. They got more space. Essentially, that was the main thing, right? You didn't have to live in New York anymore, especially if you know you could work remotely from anywhere at sure. this point. So I feel like that's going to really COVID is going to change the landscape of real estate in the U.S. itself. Um. It already has it has going to give provide a lot more flexibility from where one companies can source the talent and where talent can choose where they want to live and work
1: on one hand if any people that work in a major mm-hmm. metropolitan area a lot of people are commuting over an hour mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. two hours yep. a day and i know I know a few people that I work with commute three to four hours a day mm-hmm. I mean now that we have podcasts and and, and you know electronic books I mean they They go on that, but I don't want to be on a bus or train for two, three, four hours a day. Get out of here, you know? So uh, I think that's what's great about this is that it did accelerate or mature the way we think about Mm -hmm. how we approach the corporate world, our nine to five, how we added some flexibility and we we realize that we don't need to physically be there and the company's still standing. If not some other companies like yours, they, they did well, they did well. And so much so that people are even having problem with fulfillment.
2: Yep. Has that been an issue for you? We have fortunately been fine because we pl- like we, we, well, I think a couple things. One, we were really, really diligent about planning for it. Um, we're also arguably still small enough of a company where it, it, it's like it's not we were able to manage through it
1: you guys could be very flexible
2: we could be a little more flexible yeah. um i think if we were all, i think if we were like maybe 10x the size that we are maybe we would have had some issues um when I mean, we know uh you know folks in the boba space in the bubble tea space especially like you know the boba shortage was like a, a real thing for a while. I don't, I don't know if it's still as crazy as it was but um yeah it, it, it's like wild how every single aspect of like the 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 transacting of physical goods has gotten crazier during covet I mean, yeah. we have like, a lot of friends who moved still haven't gotten furniture um any and then if you decide okay i don't want to buy furniture i'll do diy lumber is also crazy so it's like it's just a kind of bonkers time that we're yeah. all well lumber
1: you know, all went in. back down but to it's where it's supposed to be yeah i mean if you go to a major retail store then they're probably going to sell you it those those higher prices but if you you know for everybody you know you could negotiate that down especially if you're building a home but i mean who could have forecasted i mean look at there's major sneaker brands yeah that had to um like they couldn't really fulfill the orders because they didn't have boxes correct to put their sneakers in and ship them because they didn't know the impact that covid would had on everyone ordering takeout food Mm -hmm. for example can you imagine the volume of pizza deliveries and how many pizza pies I went out and all those cardboard boxes and all the pizza shops in the whole world being used and now the whoever's making the cardboard going, well, there's a logistically we we're having a problem with fill this because pizza <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can't. It's- it's you know? it's the two of the toilet of the run of toilet paper <laughs> right. in the very beginning of COVID, right?
1: <laughs> right. And and, and now then a lot of people are having logistical transportation issues with everything being backed up and I mean then happen help what happened at the Suez Canal. Yeah. With the container yeah. being stuck there, costing was it billions? Yeah. Was it billions? It was, yeah, that's insane. To, but yeah. It was it was like the size of a like a I forget what building they compared it to
2: it was taller. It was longer. It's longer than the empire state building.
1: That's it. That's now I'm having a hard time digesting that, right? Cause we're right here. We're not too far from the empire mm-hmm. state building. And I grew up staring at it and I'm even now I have a view directly at the empire state building and I'm, and I'm, I cannot fathom a, a shipping container, <laughs> the size of longer than the empire state building being stuck just the, the the engineering behind that just yeah. kind of blows my mind like how do you even move that thing is it's absolutely crazy crazy now how do you forecast all of this um stuff that's coming through
2: i mean you're still so brand yeah. new you wave a finger in your air in the air and just <laughs> hope for the best I mean, a certain degree, I mean to a certain degree um you know we have you know folks that we are have already in conversations with and so we can kind of map out you know, where that, where, where we think that revenue and demand might come from. And then, yeah, there's probably a solid, at least 30% of it. That's just like, we're just pretty confident that given what we've been doing in the, you know, for the first two years of the business that we're going to hit this number and we'll try our best to, to get to it. Um, I, I mean, that's, and, and you know, that's, I think anyone who is investing in us um, or kind of along for our journey knows that in, 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 in the startup environment that that's, that's a lot of it. You know, you
1: use your part, your apartment, right? You had a a small studio. I
2: used to. Yeah. And you, you held all of your product there, the fulfillment and everything. The first couple of runs. Yeah. I mean, so I had like a storage unit in our, in our, in our apartment building that could hold about two pallets of product. And then in my apartment, I could hold another about two and a half. So like literally like our first run or two. Sure. Um, but very quickly after that, we would kind of basically send that out to like a, a warehouse that was in New York City. And mm-hmm. then from there, pick it up and then bring it to the apartment, you know, when I wanted to, to fulfill orders. And then now we're at a point where, um, yeah, we're not producing like the trucks full. So those are in Pennsylvania and in Southern California.
1: Oh, why Pennsylvania? Because there's most people keep um, uh, their warehouses fulfillment in New Jersey, because yeah, there's it's a ton of cheaper. space out there. Um,
2: yeah. our, so one, our manufacturing facility is like in Pennsylvania, so it's a closer okay. it's, it's a closer freight ride. Um, that one is also strategically located on a good trucking route to get uh-huh. out west, should we need that. And then um, our business is both in the northeast and we're going starting to go down south. Uh-huh. So it's, it's a really good central area for
1: all of that. Just to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, the barrier to entry, because I know yeah. when you're making a beverage company that is just not about the beverage that you need to consider. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, that's just one part. Oh, yes. There's the marketing, there's the transportation, there's the logistics, there is the brand identity, there's the mm-hmm. culture. I mean, there is just so much, there's the online presence, there's the e-commerce and there's relationships that you're building with all these vendors. It's, it's like, how do you even have enough time in the day to complete all these projects?
2: You just start. Because <laughs> I think if you think about it like that. You but might...
1: you come from an engineer and a investment banker blood, so this is a layup.
2: I wouldn't say a layup, but uh, <laughs> but yeah.
1: You're used to putting that, that work equity in.
2: Yeah. Like, I think to me, that's the fun of it. It's like, it's why I'm not just doing, and I love every single part of the business. I mean, I'm fortunate there. I feel like a lot of folks... In the beverage world if they're if, if it's, it's kind of like if you're a marketer you more or less traditionally don't like the operation side and vice and vice versa um i feel pretty fortunate that like my experiences in engineering the in startup world before in finance i just frankly like I, I enjoy and appreciate all of it and i guess it makes me think of like okay i really like quote unquote business you know the idea of just like starting and scaling a business. do you think
1: of it like a game absolutely oh so yeah that's it that's where most people i think find success they 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 find they think of it like a game and it's fun it's important. not not like when yeah, you wake yeah. up for on a monday yeah you're kind of dreading it you're like oh shit i got this meeting and this work i gotta do this i gotta be on zoom versus some people that i talk to especially that we have on the podcast man they hate mondays they they, they, they yeah they they i mean they hate weekends, weekends sorry, yeah. because they want to get at it they can't wait for them they love mondays they're like man i want to get at it sure you know i mean you asked for a lot of uh i think traders people that trade in the stock market i mean they hate weekends I, whenever i talk to them like because they love trading they love the action sure it I gives them adrenaline I mean,
2: yeah i wouldn't say i hate the weekends. i think it's important to, because i think if you if, in that gaming analogy it's like it's I think it's important not to get too consumed by it right like you know if you really want to go the gamer route like I think it's important to not be up at all hours of the night playing and you kind of wake up all bleary eyed. Right. So I think it's, I I think it's a, I have found it to be important and ultimately helpful to, you know, our own initial success to have that level of balance. Like when it's the week, it's actually not that easy, unfortunately for friends, family, whatnot to get in touch with me because I do feel like I'm pretty heads down in it. But come the weekend, I also think it's important to take a step back. Um, because it, it was, you know, we talked about you know family at some point earlier in the conversation, like I don't think it should be just all about business or all about just the craft. Um, but that's just one person's stake. <laughs> Wouldn't
1: you have to be involved twenty four seven? Because there's just so many layers and parts, especially to keep the momentum going when it's just starting out.
2: When it's just starting out, fine. I'll give you. I'll give. I'll. I'll seed a little bit of that. Right? Although I would also argue that it's not really helpful to go like, when you say 24 seven, or I'm not going to take that fully literally, but the idea of working, I don't know, pulling all nighters or even just not getting enough sleep. I actually do find a competitive advantage I have, um, as a founder CEO is that I'm quite religious during the week about getting seven hours of sleep. Um, it leaves me not enough room to do much else, but I do believe that as far as like properly prioritizing, um, managing a team, making sure that we're making the right decisions, I'm best off doing that when I have seven hours of sleep and I'm well hydrated.
1: Your team must love you.
2: Well, I don't know. <laughs> right? that,
1: that's a very healthy mindset. mindset I think yeah. I think hustle culture can be extremely toxic, especially for those that have leaders that have that mentality and you don't share the same philosophy. Yep. It can be very taxing on someone. Whereas the opposite too, if you have a team full of hustlers that really want to get at it 24-7 yep. and you have a leader that doesn't want to... sure do that and you feel like there's a lot more juice to squeeze out of this lemon they're going to be pretty upset like we need a, a better leader that can really take us to the next level sure.
2: i think it's, for me what i see is it's important to when we're when we're working we're we're in like there's no distractions like but i think people off I a a bit of a biased take but i think people actually overestimate the amount of time it takes if you are doing the work with no distractions, you can basically you can get a lot of stuff done if you just can get rid of the distractions. I think when people a lot of times talk about putting in so many hours in the day, it's because they're letting themselves in the middle of that time get distracted.
1: For sure, yeah. they're multitasking Correct. or they're or they're taking excessive and- breaks, excessive breaks that that break the momentum. People don't understand like once you get in a flow state, you well, can get, a, get lot a lot of shit done. done. You can get yeah. a lot done. The flow state is so important, and then when you take these little breaks. It, it does mess up your flow state and then you got to get the engine warmed yeah. up again yep. and get started because mm-hmm. I mean, it does take a little while to get into that flow
0: state yeah, yeah it takes some more mental space to kind of just get back into rhythm getting into that zone versus just being in it right you're focused no distractions and you conserve a lot of energy when you're in that like state i would yeah. say yeah sorry so
2: as a company we actually you would be surprised well one like how few meetings our team has and then also our team is seven um, I mean, we have three interns with us for the summer but like we've gotten to the I, mean, I, th- I think a lot of folks end up being surprised but they hear like our team is as small as it is for as much as we've grown um, you, you talk about the stepping on the stepping on the on the gas and stepping on the brake to me in the actual corporate wor- in, in the work environment world that's a meeting <laughs> is the acceleration it's, and deceleration it's, yeah
1: that's what's draining is I, I get into this and I'm getting pulled into a meeting hey Will we have a meeting here hey Will another meeting here. And I'm like, hey, but actually none of this really hits the bottom line. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, this is all just stuff. This could have been an email. Exactly. It could have been an email. And I think that's what great leadership Mm -hmm. is, is if you can communicate efficiently what you need here and know when to Mm -hmm. have a meeting and have it as efficient as possible and not take Mm -hmm. up too much time and let everybody go back to their... Stuff and as long as things get done, you don't need to raise any flags. Like everything's done, cool. That you're an adult, I'm an adult, that's it. You can do whatever you want afterwards. And Jeff Bezos had this saying, um, and I want to know what your thoughts on this. He said something to the fact that he doesn't believe in work life balance, yep. he believes that your work should be a part of your life, yep. and he may not be the one to use as a compass for, for um, work life. Uh, Happiness due to all the everything that's surrounding Amazon right now, but he is uh, a figure people look to, and when he speaks, people listen. And there are some very intelligent things that
2: he has said over the years. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like it's important that he says it because if you're going to go to work at Amazon, and obviously he's now stepped down as a CEO, but if you're going to go do that, you know what you're signing up for, right? And I mean, and I say this as someone assuming that people have agency to be able to choose you know where they work but i think for the most part folks do um there's different workplace cultures for everyone right like that may have worked for me in my early early to mid 20s i will say that now you know i'm in my mid 30s about to you know hopefully have a family in the next couple of years when i get married next year um i can't I I can't see how that's going to be true for me. Even if you're the CEO of your own company. In the same way that he put, I would, in the same way that he puts it out there. Like I actually do believe in some level. And and I don't know if we're just saying the same thing, but in different words. Um, But I say, because I know some people who work at Amazon and they're frankly not that happy. And so it's like, and this is people at the corporate level as well. And so I'm just like, what are we optimizing for here? And again, I think for him and for the culture that he wanted to establish, I think they're okay with that. Like a lot of people who work and sign up for that, it's because they want it to be, you know, Amazon is like changing the world and, in, in in all the ways that it is
1: you know what it is too is that they, in the corporate structure right they give a very competitive salary yep mm-hmm. it pays well yep um i mean we know a couple of people there that make over a quarter million yeah and and they're like uh i mean I, I can't speak firsthand but from what i've heard they you know they and it may not be a reflection of the entire company but maybe just that team sure could be isolated but that person isn't happy sure. and they dread it mm-hmm. um but like the pay is so damn good compared to the rest of the market that they would have to take a dramatic pay cut in order to work somewhere else but be a bit happier sure someone very close to me had this um and i shared this previously on the podcast where he had laid out a 10-year plan he's putting 80 hours a week um and i was together with him for a birthday um w- w- for his family and he goes I'm done um the next 6 months I'm done he so I was like what do you mean he's accelerated his 10 year plan into a 6 month plan now <laughs> and I said why he goes because I told them that I wanted to do this to celebrate this birthday for my child and they basically didn't give a fuck yep they said what do you think I'm paying you for and it was was yesterday a saturday it was a saturday and he said to me all i could think about right now is what i have to do after this i Mm. can't even enjoy this moment i'm done i'm done i thought it was a 10-year plan that i had i thought i could take it for 10 more years but this is some bullshit right here and he's like they do need me you know because he does do a lot but he also told him look there's only so many hours of the day that i can do that i mean you know, it's not
2: realistic. Yeah, I, I'm also, you know, I think the other thing I'll add to that. So one, we're in the, also in the food and beverage industry. So it's like, it's different from, we're, we're not going to be Tesla or Amazon in even our aims and the kinds of folks that we want to attract, right? Like we're just not going to, but the part I'd add to you know, the point that you raised, which is quite tactical is that if anything, especially during this last year has taught us is that we should be able to, and we, I think are as people, humans now able to actually accomplish so much more now because of technological advances. And so to me, the idea that we're going to still maintain the same crazy demands of what, of what work culture was before, right? Mandating someone's in an office for X hours a day and X, and and X days a week. Um, it just doesn't, it just, it just feels archaic. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, right. Like, it, it like does. I'm focused on, 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 on from a team perspective and like trying to bring on the most talented and thoughtful folks as we can. Cause I do think that that's important, but if we are all together and like, again, like, and, and I, I see my chief roles as a CEO to put them in positions where they can be in a flow state for as long as they can, then like the throughput, then the output should be there in less time because we're not forcing because because we've just got yeah we've got more technological things that are working to our advantage and whatnot and so I I think that's why I'm like again and this is just for our company I kind of recoil at that also I will say why I hate when founders make those kinds of comments is that their incentives are so much different from from folks who are employees do I work a lot yes I am the founder of the company um, I have my own different kind of incentives that I think it would be irresponsible to ask everyone else to, to bear that same load. I think we saw that a lot in the 2010s, um, you know, the startup cultures all basically saying, we're all a family or, you know, we'll give you all of these different perks, but just work 24 seven. Like, it's just not how, um, like there, there inherently is a disconnect. And I just wish, um, yeah, I think that's why I initially recoil with the comments. It feels somewhat dis- disingenuous or dishonest right. because no one who works the same amount of hours as Jeff Bezos is ever going to be worth $170 billion as long as they're an employee of Amazon. So Ownership. It goes back to ownership. what we were talking about. Well, and and, and being, again, to me, it's like
1: honesty about that. People have to start looking inwardly. And I think they have. I think COVID what has co- COVID taught us is how we should look at life and how we should more importantly look at our time and we're starting to put a higher value Mm -hmm. on our time as a society we're starting to go time out i'm not worth eight dollars an hour this is some bullshit this is i can't live on this this is not realistically like i'll always just be right next to broke like this it's and people are starting to realize that. And that's why there is this labor shortage. But sure. call it what it is. People are underpaid. People are just leaving. They don't yeah.
0: want those jobs because it's not worth the time anymore.
1: It just became normal. The pain and the stress and the abuse and being taken advantage of the time. The training sure. yeah. of our whole lives. It's just We just hit this momentum and this it was like, oh, it's this or nothing. Oh, it's just normal. Everybody does it, so it's all good. And then when COVID hit, we're like, hold on. We got to stop and look around and kind of snap out of this thinking and go, wait a minute. What the fuck is this? Hold on. Wait. W- was I? No. Absolutely <laughs> not. No mm-hmm. way. Absolutely not. Yeah. And they started demanding more and they started realizing their worth.
0: Yep. I mean, as horrible a pandemic as COVID was, right? I would call it a pretty damn good reset to, mm-hmm. the, to a person's mental health, I would say. For a long time, people were being conditioned to believe you're living to work, right? And that's why they were being able to take advantage of. And now they're able to now realize, wait, I was being taken advantage of. They, they were able to see, like, I was wasting so many different hours doing so many unnecessarily, being underpaid, being underappreciated, and I could don't have to take this. I could have options. Right, and
1: that's key, I mean, and that's what I mean. It goes back to mm-hmm. don't sleep on yourself. Yep. Mm-hmm you know you are way more talented than you give yourself credit for i i'm telling you, there there is there is power in belief in yourself because once you believe in yourself that's the first step to taking action yep that's my personal philosophy when i go into anything before we went live i was just telling you that i could be good at anything i want and what i as long as i put in the time and i make the necessary sacrifices sure. i can achieve what i want but it's about how much time and i am i willing to trade yeah but for a lot of people especially introverts this day and age with with mental health being such a big crisis depression and low confidence and low self-esteem just seems all too common Mm. and when you have that and i've been there i know what it's like it's like trying to run in quicksand, it's,
2: what what got you out? You used to be there. Oh man! How how have you found yourself uh, able to get yourself out of that quicksand?
1: Self belief. I just believe. You just tell.
2: It, but like, how did that how did that flip how that switch right. flip?
1: And I started looking at examples of myself mm. prior, mm. before I fell into the depression, before got I fell it. into um, a state of paralysis, I should say, sure. because when when I was at that state, I just. I thought everything was a waste of time. It was very unhealthy. Um, I like, wh- What's the point of doing this because this is gonna happen, therefore, yeah, X, yeah. you know? It's, sure. it's one of those, right? And I think we've all, it's a human thing, right? And I think a lot of people are afraid to share this because, oh, you're a loser, you know? And, and I've come to accept that, yeah, sometimes I may think like that, hmm. and I can't help it, but I'm gonna overcome it every single time, right? It's, it's a part of me, and I don't know why, but it's there. But I think the first part is to not run from it. It's to embrace it yep. and and look at it head on, like with any problem. If you run from it, it's always going to be attached to you somehow. But if you look at it in the face and understand why, then you can begin to properly address it. So that's exactly what I did. And from then on, I started looking at examples of myself being great. I'm like, man, I was good at that. And I started looking at And it doesn't need to be something so... Um, <laughs> Macro. It doesn't need to be something like, oh, I won this huge tournament. I'm the MVP. It could be something small that I just did really well. And I can build on anything I can use as fuel to inject me forward. That's what I did. I looked for any reason for proof that I am capable. Mm. And from that little seed, I began to sprout. And it just kept growing from there. And I, and here's the thing. I said, it's okay if you make mistakes. It's 100%. If you make mistakes, you fall down. If you fail, it's okay. Actually, go ahead and fail. Go ahead and make yeah. these mistakes because that's where the learning happens. I could look back in my life, and I think anyone can, to the parts of Victor. It's easy to say that you're great when sure. things are going great, when you're happy. It's easy to sound confident or, and, and just be boisterous and, and be the, the, the it person. When everything's going well, it's so easy to tell yourself these amazing things, but the true strength lies in telling yourself that when you're losing. Mm-hmm. When you're down, telling yourself to get back
2: up. It's the new you try, like, pl- playing defense against the old you, right? Like yeah. you have to make sure that like, the old you never really goes away. It's just, you have greater defenses now around around the, the new you that you have built.
0: Like, you essentially have to retrain and rewire your brain of how you think about yourself. Without and here's
1: the crazy thing. I think that it never ends.
0: Mm-mm. Correct. It's life. Yeah. That's you life. You have to keep evolving, keep going with time.
1: Going back, starting your own company. I have a great admiration for that. And doing what you did. It's incredibly challenging. Like how else can people uh, find you, and, and what else can they expect in the future?
2: Yeah, I mean, easiest way to find us handles at Drink Sanzo, and that's you know across all of our main um, socials. So that's Drink S A N Z O. Um, if you want to order us, uh, DrinkSanzo.com, or you can you can buy us on Amazon. That's cool too. Um, let's see. New York, SF, and LA, that's probably that's where we have most of our distribution. We are coming down, uh, starting in September, we'll be in 65 more Whole Food stores across DC, Philly, Baltimore, Northern Virginia, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, what's on the deck for us, just more growth. Actually, you know what, I'll, I can probably, actually, I think I, can, I actually can start talking about this now. Um, starting uh, in the next couple of weeks, we, are, we actually have a partnership with Marvel um, for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, independently of it, Simu Lu, who's the lead actor, and if folks know, he was a star in Kim's Convenience before. He's actually now an investor in the brand. Um, but ultimately, we have these really cool limited, time, limited edition cans coming out um, in the next six weeks or so. So that's probably like the, the biggest, most fun drop um, that we'll have, yeah. I mean, that's actually that's first, exciting. It's actually, man. the first time we're get, actually doing a fully co branded, you know, can the whole party with Marvel, thing. with Disney's Marvel, it's going to be with Marvel. Yeah, Shang-Chi. I can't wait to see yeah. that movie, yeah, Shang Chi. And I'll actually be flying out. This trailer my, looks amazing. It looks awesome. Mm-hmm. It's actually my first ever uh, Hollywood premiere. How nice did you out. get hooked up with that? Um, if, you're, if you're familiar with uh, the, the organization Gold House, it's run by yes. run by Bing Chen. Um, he had gotten us in the room in March. Um, to do something with Disney for Raya and the Last Dragon and we I'll say it, it was uh, right after that the very first thing Raya I, was awesome too yeah the very first thing I did at the end of the Raya partnership was I was like uh, n- to the people at Disney I was like okay now now let's let, now like introduce me to the people at Marvel and let's and let's kick off something with Shang-Chi um, and here we are <laughs>
0: you took your shot.
2: <laughs> shot shot the shot yep yeah, definitely yeah. gotta shoot the shot thanks a lot for coming yep, to thanks this for having show. me this was, this was fun this was a ton of fun
1: Thanks. All right, guys. This is Lucky Boys, and we are out.
0: Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.